Radio Influence. The future is now. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Happy Friday. Duffified Live Friday. That's what we're going to do over here. That's right. We are back, everybody. Uh, after a, uh, a little hiatus of some crazy traveling, which I talked about last week, heading into Vegas, heading into Wildwood, heading to Jamaica, um, which I'll tell you what, man, Jamaica, Jamaica was a really good trip. I had uh, I had a lot of fun. I met some really cool people. Um, I had the opportunity to kind of chill out for a little while, um, which is really what I needed. I just kind of wanted a little bit of beach time. I wanted some some air therapy, shall we say, that salt water, which I just adore, which just kind of kind of cleans up my skin. Uh, it cleans up my brain. It cleans me out. Uh, that sun getting that vitamin D, which makes you super happy. Um, I, I heard a story years ago about a guy um, who lived in Miami and uh, was depressed all the time. He moved up to the Northeast and he was really depressed and he started to go see a therapist. And ultimately the therapist said to him, hey, do me a favor, go stand in the sun. Just go and stand outside for a little while. Go and get into a tanning salon if that's what you have to do. Whatever it is to make that warmth come to your body and you feel it and all that. So I try to get as much sun as possible. I love the mountains. I love getting up there. But I'll tell you what, I love a good beach, man. I just booked my week down in the Outer Banks with me and my girls. And it is probably one of the greatest weeks out of my entire year where I get to see the pure joy of my children playing in the water and the sand. And even though my girls are 17 and 14, watching them lay in the sand and bury each other. And uh, I got them some amazing paddle boards this year. I bought them these uh, stand-up paddle paddle boards that are inflatable. Um, I got to do some work uh, the last couple of weeks down in Wildwood. I met this super good guy named Mike Ciara who owns Kona Surf Company. Um, and he introduced me to these stand-up inflatable paddle boards, um, which I think you can go to like konasurf.com. Uh, look, they're not a sponsor or any of that stuff, but they are uh, – I, I just really liked them, and, and I, I try to talk about things that I like as much as I can. So um, Kona Surf Company is uh, – they're located in Wildwood, New Jersey. Mike Ciara is the, uh, is the owner of the company. Him and his son Chris run it. Um, I just opened up a property across the street uh, called the Mud Hen Brewery for his other son um, named Brendan. But uh, having conversations with Mike and feeling that passion for the beach and the ocean and all that stuff. And then I, I went out and I, I bought two paddle boards. Um, uh, I, I, I am super stoked about it. I'm really excited for my girls to get out there. They're going to be doing yoga in the mornings. They're yoga paddle boards. So it's a little bit wider. It's got a bigger base to it. So I'm pretty happy about, but that, that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm, I'm, I want to just let you guys know just what a great week I had in at the beach and um, the sand and, you know, a couple of cocktails, a bunch of cocktails. And for God's sakes, it's Jamaica, man. It's not like I didn't have a 
interaction with some marijuana. Um, but I, I did have a really good week hanging out down there. So I'm really stoked about that. Um, you know, going into this week, I, I, I have a couple things. One, I want to laugh about something kind of funny. I don't know if you guys ever know my love for Kerrygold butter. Um, I, I don't know if it's because of the fact that I was involved in Irish food for so much and so long with being the Irish chef. Um, you know, I had that kind of label after being involved in an Irish restaurant in Philadelphia. And then I became the corporate executive chef for a, uh, for an asshole in reality, uh, with, with his restaurants that I ran for a while. Um, as the corporate exec, I ran the food programs over there and did all that stuff. It was a great experience. Um, he was just kind of a douchebag. So, um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was an experience, but the Irish part of what I do is kind of fun. I always kind of play around with that because it's such an, it's such a, a cuisine that never really got a lot of love. It was always that joke about the boiling and the corned beef and cabbage and that stuff. But the really cool thing is that this Kerrygold butter, again, not a sponsor, but I was just reading Eater and there's a great article that talks about Kerrygold's butter, Kerrygold butters rise from humble countryside to an American favorite. Um, the article's written by, uh, so it's it's spelled Choban, but it's actually Siobhan uh, Brett, um, which is a really cool little article talking about Leprechaun Tub of Gold, Golden Farm. In 1962, Ireland's largest agri-food cooperative was tussling with a colorful shortlist of names for its new butter brand. The focus, if it wasn't obvious, was squarely on export markets. The launch was able to take place in Britain, initially sidestepping Ireland entirely before con uh, continuing to the continental Europe and the wider world. In the end, the board is said to have been motivated by a strong K with the ability to travel easily and far, Kerrygold was born. Today, Kerrygold is all over Instagram. It trends on posts and features some of the internet's most famous pie creations. It's hard for me not to store specific ingredients, says Allison Roman, the cookbook author and recipe developer, currently best known for her chocolate chip shortbread cookie recipe. Sounds awesome. And all my recipes can be made with the grocery store brand of every ingredient, but if people use Kerrygold or something like Plugra, a premium brand of European-style butter, which we've all used in restaurants for years, it's a step up. The truth is it does make a difference when you're baking. Um, so for me, I think it's pretty cool that Kerrygold is getting such a great wrap because it is. It's an awesome butter, super creamy, amazing flavor. It's got this super gold quality to it when you take a look at it. Um, it's really kind of neat. But what it says here is that Kerrygold's current status as a food world favorite took decades to build. Its first formal introduction in the U.S. in 98 began with the order of butter from Illinois that was small enough to provoke ridicule in Dublin. Um, still the company saw the possibility of selling the Irish product to an American market. Um, so if you guys are out there, check out some Kerrygold butter. I'm a big fan of it. I love, uh, the flavor and, uh, I just love that creaminess as soon as I get it. Um, they sent me some butter a couple months ago because I had done a project, uh, down in Florida and the producer of the show and also the star made this wild little, uh, video where I kept talking about Kerrygold and he had little Kerrygolds pop up all over the place. So it was kind of neat. Um, but I just thought it was kind of fun, uh, with, with the fact that it's a product that I really like and I never knew really the, I never knew the history of it. Um, so it's, it's kind of neat, but there's actually a book out there called butter, a rich history. Um, and Elaine could Kosrova, 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 K-H-O-S-R-O-V-A, um, is the author. And she suggests that the height of Kerrygold's marketing and distribution came at a time when the number of imported specialty butters was relatively few. The presence of Irish representatives helped market the product as a high gloss import. So it's kind of cool. So get out there, try out some Kerrygold butter. Again, they're not sponsoring me. They don't give any money to me or any of that. I just think it's a really good product. And I like to talk to you guys about that stuff. So, okay. So this week, 
um, is is kind of a really neat show. Um, we've got an event coming up in May. It's May, I believe, third through sixth. It's called the Reality Rally, and it's out in California. Um, and it happens every year. And what they do is they take reality stars from all over the world. And these stars have to, one, raise money to get out there. And they're raising money for a charity, okay? And the charity that they do um, is called, I believe it's Michelle's House. I can't remember. Michelle's House? It's in the Temecula Valley. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a really neat event. It's a three day weekend, um, and and it just raises money. It's three, four, and five. It's for a place called Michelle's Place, which is a breast cancer research center, and they've been around since two thousand. They have um, a, a tremendous amount of events that go on, and there's reality stars all over the place, and it's kind of a cool little event. So uh, who knows? Maybe I'll do it someday. I have no idea, but um, let's see what happens with it. So the gentleman that I have with me today. Um, is a uh, he's a plumber. He's a master plumber out of northern Minnesota, and he is a pretty dynamic individual. It was something that I really enjoyed talking to him, and I think you guys are going to like this interview. Um, we kind of dig into deep about what it ha- what happened. So Luke Soderling, like I said, is a master plumber out of uh, northern uh, Minnesota. He is married for the last thirteen years, been with his wife for fourteen. He has four boys, and as of right now, he has a fifth boy on the way. Um, left his entire family for sixty days. Sixty days to survive in a series of different situations all throughout South America. Dropped off in the Amazon um, and then had to survive, uh, basically, um, through a different bunch of stuff. You're going to be pretty shocked at what this guy had to do. I think we dig a little bit deeper than just the bug stuff and what you ate and all that. We really kind of – I wanted to know more about the psyche. I wanted to know about the pregame. I wanted to know what it was like being out there without his family and that stuff. That's stuff that I kind of question, how it is that these guys do this. Because, you know, my girls were just in Europe for 10 days and, and I couldn't wait to get home to see them. And I was like a little boy. I was giddy waiting for my girls to, to come home after being on a trip for that long. And, you know, I, I travel a tremendous amount, but it was something that was really cool to me. So uh, I'm going to kind of stop it there. Um, I want you guys to uh, step back. Sit down in your cars, pop your headphones in, uh, pop your headphones in. This is a really cool interview. I'm really happy about this. So, dude, everybody or dude, everybody do me a favor. Check out Luke Soldering uh, right now on Duffified Live. Good morning, Luke. How are you today, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure you guys are pretty crazy out there. So, so Luke, do me a favor real quick. Why don't you tell us and tell everybody who's listening, one, who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into what you did. Sure. Well, my name's Luke Soderling. I'm a uh, master plumber, uh, father, and a firearms instructor. I live in uh, northern Minnesota, and we just, this last week, finally got rid of all of our snow. So we're, we're pretty happy. <laughs> Finally out of the deep freeze. Dude, are you kidding? We had it over here too. It was like every time I turned around, we're getting, we're getting dumped on with snow or 20 degree weather. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, 60 degrees yesterday. It was just fantastic. But there's still places with two feet ice on the lake. So it's, we're still not out of the woods yet. I love it up there. I love it up there. Um, I'm a yeah, big fan. I've, I've got to get back up there. I mean, it's literally like, it's like staring at, a, at, a, at, a, at art every day that you walk out the front door. Oh man. Yeah. I mean the pine trees and everything is just, I have one of the most scenic driveways. It's just, it's great. The trees kind of hang over 
a couple weeks ago went frosted pretty good. We had frost on all the trees and snow. Nice. It was just, it's really cool. Which is, which is great in like December and January. But once you start hitting May yeah, and these branches are, yeah. as, are as fragile as they are. I mean, we had a storm that ripped through here. Uh, and I live in Philadelphia, but we had a storm that ripped through here a couple of weeks ago that, uh, I mean, I mean, Luke, I'm telling you, man, it was like devastation. It was like a hurricane came blowing through here. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. I that mean, ice is really rough. Yeah. Oh, it's just, and it's so heavy. We had tree, we had, we had telephone poles that were snapping, you know, we had things yeah. that were falling down. We had trees that were landing on houses and cars. And uh, my daughter was actually in on the bus coming home from school and a tree fell on the bus behind her. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she got out of the oh she, poor kid, crazy kid. She's my daughter. I tell her to do what you know, go after what she wants, and she wanted to get off the bus, so she got off the bus and walked home. Oh, wow, not the wisest decision, but it worked. So, yeah, um, right. So, Luke, well, now, so you're a master plumber, northern uh, uh, northern Minnesota. You said you're a father as well. How many kids do you? Have? I have four boys and one more boy on the way. So oh, we got my. a ah, dude. full crew. Dude, you have yeah, we got a whole line of hockey right there. <laughs> you absolutely do, dude. I mean, the name, everything. You've got it, Soderling. Like you're, you're, you're killing it up there. That's awesome, dude. That's right. Four yeah. boys and one more on the way. Your poor wife, man. Oh man, she's a saint for sure. Serious, four boys. Um, I mean, I, five boys. I know. Just my mother had three boys and a girl, okay. and right. we were horrible, disgusting. <laughs> we smelled. Um, I- uh, yeah, I grew up with three brothers, so I had no girls at all. So um, it's my cousin actually kind of broke the streak. Um, us Soderlings, we just have boys. I mean, my brother has boys. My older brother has boys. My younger brother has boys. Um, my cousin kind of broke the streak a few years ago. The first Soderling girl in 56 years. No, wow. Jeez. Yeah. So She's we have uh, quite, quite the tradition. Yep. Sure. Now, how old, how old are your boys? They're um, three through nine. Okay, so you've got you've got some fun ages going on there. That's cool. Oh man. yeah, they're fun. They're great to take out camping and doing things outside. We're out on the ATV the other day, and they just had a blast. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I have girls, but I've kind of I've kind of raised my girls to be um, very aggressive, to go after what they want, and you know all that stuff. My my youngest daughter is actually four foot eleven and weighs like a hundred pounds. Um, okay. She's just a tiny little human, and she's my oldest. My youngest okay. daughter is my youngest daughter is a softball and volleyball player, so she's like tall, muscular. It's kind of funny to watch. But uh, my youngest daughter actually rose crew. Your guys are, are still young, so are they playing sports or? doing any of that they've been playing soccer um some of the ymca soccer leagues and things like that but they really have a lot of fun with those things so now uh dude i just keep going back to the fact your poor wife with five boys yeah because <laughs> yeah. i have a 14 year old so i i have a 14 my sister lives with me and my nephew and my nephew is just about 14 i guess the kid is six foot one he wears a size 12 shoe he <laughs> has to bring a birth certificate with him to his uh sporting events wow because they don't believe that he's actually the age that he is wow so he's but the kid i'm telling you luke the guy smells like shit yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, I walk past his room and I'm like, I feel like something's dead in there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's so yeah, it's definitely tough getting getting four boys right now to bathe semi regularly is, is difficult. <laughs> boys, lake now. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. It's good. We live on a lake. So that helps. That's awesome, man. So now let's get, so what does your wife do? I mean, your, your wife's probably with five stay, kids. She's staying home. She's a stay at home mom. And we actually homeschool our boys. So she's busy. Jeez. Yeah. She's yeah. busy. She's a busy lady, yeah. dude. She is. She is for sure. But That's we, awesome. we love it. We wouldn't change a thing. That's great, dude. That's great. So now let's, let's kind of move on a little bit into what, what you did. All right. So, so tell us, tell us the story of the wheel and how you got involved. Yeah. Well, the wheels kind of crazy in how I got involved in that because I signed up for a different show called top shot on history channel. It was aired several years ago as a shooting competition show. As a firearms instructor and competition shooter, I thought that'd be great. That show got canceled and I never made it on, but I kept getting casting calls for different shows and different things would come along and I'd like, oh, not really for me, not really that interesting. But then I got an email about this show called The Wheel, where it's never been done before. It's unique. They've never done anything like this before, where they take amateurs. They want people that are not survivalists, have no formal training at all, and have no experience doing this, and they want to take you, give you minimal equipment, and set you loose in six different places for a total of 60 days. And I saw that, and I thought, man, what's not to love? I mean, that sounds like a blast. And uh, I emailed them. And then I told my wife, I said, you know, is it okay that maybe I'd be gone for 60 days? Oh and she God. said, oh, they'll never pick you. <laughs> and I had to agree. I never thought they'd pick me, but they did. It was what kind crazy. Of, what kind of anxiety comes with having a conversation with your wife where you're going to leave her home with four boys? That, that was rough. You know, that was, I knew it was going to be the most difficult thing for me out there. Um, I had no idea how hard it was really going to be. You know, um, everybody says when they do these shows, they say, boy, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Right. But I'll go without food for weeks on end before being away from my family again for that long. Sure. Oh, absolutely. That That was rough. It was just, it was brutal. And her at home with four boys, I mean, that's the real survival show right there. They need to film that. Right, Dude, and you know what's so funny is that that actually is a whole nother side to all of this because it's one of the big things that I hear. You know, I've I've interviewed a couple different people. So I did um, uh, the guy from Survival who's done it a couple of times, EJ. Sure, EJ Snyder, yeah. He's a good buddy of mine. EJ is awesome, dude. Yeah, he was he was great to talk to. Really, really good guy. I got to get back in touch with him again. He was a really good egg. Um, Yeah. But, but it's, it's one of the things that we all, that I kind of hear from people and even people that I've met out in, you know, this reality world is kind of weird because we all kind of have a similar connection and and whether it's on a bar show or whether it is in a, in an, in a, you know, a survival situation, like we've all kind of also really, it's also really weird because we are all kind of a little strange. Oh my God. You have to be a little strange to do some of these things. So it's a unique world for sure. But, but I, I think, you know, it's so funny because you said that you said it's almost like its own show there. I mean, you think about that, your husband and you're yeah. not in communication with her, correct? No, that's right. That was really hard. 60 days with no communication at all. I mean, I think the survival portion of it would be massive. And I think we've seen it on shows like Survivor where you do see that breakdown. You know, I mean, look, yeah. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I travel between 80 and 100,000 miles in the air a year. Okay, so yeah. I'm, I'm on a plane most of the time. I have an amazing relationship with both of my girls. It is huge. My girls were just in Europe for the last 10 days with my ex-wife. 
And, and I could not wait. I couldn't wait. I was like a giddy little kid and I'm 46. I couldn't yeah. wait to see my girls, man. So I can't right. imagine 60 days without your family, without your wife either. How long have you and your wife been yeah. together? 13 years. Just had a 13th anniversary this last 13 month. years so, you guys yeah. together. Married 13 years or together all together? Uh, 14 years together, 13 years married. So 14 years of being together, of having that friend, that confidant, that, that yep. support system behind you. And then on top of it, having four eh, pretty cool kids, badass boys. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how you did it, dude. I'm just going to tell you that right off the bat. We don't even have to talk about the survival part of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I had a, um, I had a little note. I, I got a little calendar and, um, I had to keep track because I had thyroid cancer to take my medication every day. And oh so I shipped off when I took it. And so I had a little note written on there by my wife and telling me that she believed in me, that she knew I could keep doing it and keep one foot in front of the other. And I read that thing multiple times a day. Oh, sure. And it really, it really kept me going. I mean, it was, it was hard too, because, you know, you want to, one of my main reasons for being out there was showing my boys that you never quit, you know, mm -hmm. that you never give up and you keep fighting and you find something, you set your goal and you never quit. But then I struggled with this thing was like, well, do I be a good father and stay here and show them that you never quit? Or do I be a good father and go home where I belong? So that was, it was really hard. What was that? And, and um, I don't want to, I don't want to bury any parts of the lead here. Cause you just said something that was pretty, pretty impressive, but what was that homecoming like? Oh man, it was great. I mean, <laughs> we just, we just held each other and I, I didn't want to let go. I didn't want to let Amy out of my sight for weeks afterwards. I mean, it I'm was sure. just, I wanted to stay there. And yeah, it was, and, and being at home was really strange. There was a lot of kind of psychological things that go on once you get back out of the wilderness. Which, which I, de I definitely want to hop into that. That's something that's really, really important to me because I'm, I'm, I'm the type of guy who, when I, when I have a conversation with somebody, I really want to find out, especially in this situation, I want to find out a lot about that psychological aspect and how you were able to work through that. But, but let, let's back up just for one second. You said you have thyroid cancer. Yeah. In 2013, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Okay. And uh, they found a two and a half inch tumor on my uh, thyroid in my neck. Wow. And, uh, I, I was very, very fortunate, very blessed that uh, we noticed it when we did because it was directly adjacent to my um, focal cords. Really? Yeah. If they had gone any further, they may have had to remove part of my vocal cords and that can significantly change your voice or alter it. Oh my so God. Absolutely. It was, yeah. I was very, very blessed. They were able to remove that um, with the radioactive iodine treatment. I was able to do that. And then just in March, uh, March 25th, I believe it is, I just had four years cancer-free. Dude, that's so awesome. So I'm man. very, very blessed. Congratulations. Yeah, that's that's huge, man. Yeah. I, I, we actually lost my father to uh, to pancreatic cancer in October. Okay. So uh, that's uh, right. Yeah, it's a tough, you know, I mean, it's a tough run. And my father actually beat it the first round. And then okay. it came back. It, it was like, it literally was like, you know what? You're a tough old Irish bastard, but I'm coming after you again. And, and it just yeah. beat him up. You know, I mean, after that first yeah, round, really, and at 72, 73 years old, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. pancreatic cancer is like a 2% rate of anything. Yeah, it's, so it's a tough run, but, but well, dude, that's awesome, man. You know, congratulations on beating that. Thanks. And Thanks. Yeah. Doing that. So and that was, that was another reason for me wanting to do the show is to show the cancer community that you don't give up. 
You know, there's so many people, especially with thyroid cancer, because the treatment and the, the, you have to take replacement hormone every day, and it's hard to get that balance right. And so yeah. a lot of people are very lethargic and tired and don't want to get out and do things anymore. So this was a great opportunity for me to say, you get out there, you keep going, you don't give up, you know, and you have life to live. There is life after cancer. Sure. And that was a huge part for me. And, and part of the reason why I'm really excited to be part of this reality rally coming up. That's cool, man. That's cool. So how did that, was that a, a, I'm, I'm sure you probably weren't involved in this last part of it, but uh, the, the producers, you know, how, how were they, was there a him and hall for them to have you involved in this because of, you got to take a pill every day. I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, they, they do allow people to take medication if they have, you know, specific issues on survival shows. So okay. that's, that's allowed. Um, they did require that I had a clean bill of health and things like that. So I had to do a, a doctor's visit beforehand and make sure that, you know, I was cancer free, um, and, and no other lasting effects. So they, they were pretty careful about that process. Um, but the treatment for thyroid cancer is, is so good and so successful that, right. um, they didn't have to make qualms. With that. Oh, well, but that's cool. Was, they love the, They just love the story. So what kind of, what kind of, uh, so what was the time frame from uh, the original casting call? Let's say you probably had what, a Skype interview, yeah, something. There were Skype interviews, there were emails, there was phone calls. There was a lot of different things. There was probably six or seven different stages of the casting process. And, and how long was maybe that? Maybe about three, three months, something like that. Wow. So you have that and, anticipation uh, and that anxiety building up really uh, for three yeah. months. And then you, you don't know, you know, when, if you're going to get selected or not, or all these different things. So you're going through these different things. And I had gone through the second to last stage and they had, I had made it through and they said, okay, you're going to the next stage. We're going to have everybody come up to Los Angeles and we're going to do in-person interviews, psychological evaluations. And they set a date. Wow. And I got to the Friday before that date. That date was like a Sunday. And, uh, on Friday, it's like, hey, I haven't heard anything. What's going on? And they said, oh, we'll call you back. And so 15 minutes later, they said, get on a plane and come into Los Angeles. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> they said, tomorrow. I'm like, wow, okay, um, sure. So I got on a plane, flew to Los Angeles. They, get, they, they go and they lock you in your hotel room. They won't let you out. They don't want to lose you. And so I saw about 30 seconds of Los Angeles out the window of the taxi ride, you know, and stuff like that. And so I got locked in a room and then they call you out to do the psychological evaluations, the IQ tests. And then at the end, they have you meet in front of a panel of about 10 executives. And in that meeting, I just nailed it. You know, I just had so much fun. We were laughing, we were telling jokes, we were telling stories. And I knew it when I left that interview. I said, I made it. I'm, I'm on the show. I knew it. I nailed it because wow. there were 30 of us. I figured out that there were 30 people there and they were going to pick six of us. Wow. And sure enough, that night I was doing a Skype interview with, or a FaceTime with my wife and they walked into my room and said, you're going to be on the show. I'm like, wow. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> do I really want to do this? <laughs> Hold on a sec. Let me think about this again. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, um, all right, when do I leave? And they said, two weeks. Oh, my God. Like, holy cow. Um, where are we going? We're not telling you. Right. So, so you, you prepare nothing. I had two weeks notice. So how does that, 
I mean, and you're and you're not a survivalist. That's right. Yeah. I've, so, camped, I've hunted. I've lived, you know, in the North Woods, so that helps. Of course. But I've never. I've always taken food. You know. I mean, it's just sure. It's been camping, camping, really. Some some dinty more beef stew. <laughs> exactly. I remember. I was a, I was a, I was a I was a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout. Um, okay, sure. So. Okay, so now what is your next – and let me ask you this real quick. It, there's compensation for the show, correct? They paid a little bit to be out there. Um, our show did not have a prize. It was just to see if you could do it. Wow. Dude, that's huge. For yep. 60 days. For 60 days. It was the longest survival experience on Discovery Channel. Hey everybody, look, I'm a chef. I travel all the time. And you know, everybody thinks, hey, what do you what do you know when you get home, you're cooking all the time, you're doing that. It's not that easy. It's not the way that it works. Sometimes I need to find something that is just a little bit easier. And I found that with HelloFresh. Look, HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. My daughter is 14 years old. She loves to be in the kitchen. And ever since HelloFresh has come into our life, it changed everything. We now have the excitement of cooking with me and her. Um, I look forward to those deliveries every week. Fiona actually gets home before I do usually during the day. She sends me a picture of it and says, can I start cooking? So it's pretty funny. This is something that's simple and convenient. It's not a chore. Um, You're not going to spend the whole night in the kitchen because recipes only take about 30 minutes. Okay. The selection is super easy. You've got three plans to choose from. You can do a classic, a veggie, and a family. Any one of those are awesome. Each box is made up of fresh, responsibly obtained ingredients from carefully selected farms and high-rated, trusted sources, all right? There's many benefits to the subscriptions for this, so you can keep enjoying HelloFresh week after week. All right, here's the deal. Get out that recipe rut, start cooking outside of your comfort zone, discovering new, delicious recipes in each week's box. Here's the deal. You need to go to HelloFresh.com forward slash Duffy30. It's that simple. You're gonna get 30 bucks off your first week's order. 30 bucks off, HelloFresh.com. Duffy30 is the promo code. Do it now. Don't forget to send me pictures. I want to see them. Tag me in them. Tag HelloFresh. Let me see what you guys are cooking. HelloFresh.com. Duffy30. Do it. You're a father of four boys. Your wife was not pregnant at the time you did the show. That's right. Okay. So basically you came home and you guys, you missed your wife. I got it. Sorry. Hate to do that, but we're going to go there. (laughs) So. So, so I mean, you're you're, and you are the sole breadwinner for the family. Right. Yeah, dude, the the the, so, the holy sh- the the anxiety and the the psychological portion of that alone is massive. That, that was really hard for me um, the first couple of weeks because, um, I mean, we we're we're not wealthy, you know. Sure, um, no. you know, we can make it a little while without a paycheck, but not long. And after a couple of weeks, I'm like, man. Are they okay? And yeah. that's my job. Oh my and God. They had assured me that they were going to send, you know, the stipend checks directly to my wife. And I was like, are they doing it? Are they oh getting it? God, are they okay? Dude. And I have no idea. And it's just tearing me up. And I just have no idea. And as it turns out, it was a couple of weeks before they got the first checks out there. So, I mean, it was kind of, you know, it was, my wife was a little hesitant about this. Like, okay. They said, this going to happen. Is it going to happen? And just logistics of those things, they take a little while. But now, um, they were able to take care of them, and she was just fine. So Now, how about, I mean, you know what is funny is I would actually love to have your wife on at the same time because I can't imagine what her, you know, I mean, look, three weeks. 
before yeah. she starts getting a check any in any way. You yeah. know, I mean, how how did you guys talk about that? I, I I'm a weird interviewer, by the way, dude. I think about things that I don't think a lot of people think about. No, that's fine. Yeah, that's uh, no. It was. Um, I guess we kind of were assured that they would be getting checks right away, and that it wouldn't be an issue. You know, we'll take care of it. Don't worry. And she had the the cell phone number from one of the producers that was back in Los Angeles, so she could call him whenever she needed. Good. And they really they said we're going to take care of him. And that was I met with the executive producer from Pilgrim Studios and the owner of Pilgrim Studios the day before I left Los Angeles. Right. And I said, are you going to take care of my family? Oh, you know, that was my point. I said, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to go up and do this for you guys. Are you right. going to take care of my family? And they said, she will have our number. She can call us. We will give her everything she needs. Good. And so that was reassuring to me. Um, but still, once I got out there, it was still kind of eating at me for a while. It's just oh, hard sure. to okay. I'm sure. I mean, especially as the breadwinner, that sole person yeah. who, you know, I mean, and, and, and that your wife, you know, she's she's counting on that. Plus, she's right. on, oh exactly. my God, I want to talk to your wife next. Let's get your wife yeah. on the phone. <laughs> um, so, so, okay. So what kind of a, what kind of a pregame do you have? So you're in LA, they tell you you're going to be on the show and then, and then where does that go from there? You, go back, go, back you go home. back to Minnesota? I go you back fly to out the next day? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, yep, the next day I fly out there. We were in LA for about a total of three days for this whole process. Okay. And they whittle us down and send us home. And I, this is our family plumbing business that I'm in. Um, sure. It's my dad and I. That's it. So at this time, I'm doing all the work I can find, you know, to try to try to help the business last for the two months that I'm going to be gone when nobody's doing any work. So <laughs> my dad had to basically come on a retire, semi-retirement, and uh, he does most of the office work. And he had to do some work while I was gone. Wow. So it was um, it was a sacrifice for everybody all the way around. God damn you, Luke! Yeah, exactly. When <laughs> uh, I know that the whole time I'm kind of like I gotta keep going, I gotta keep going. Back home, my dad's like, "Come on, just quit already and come home." <laughs> exactly. Come on, man. We just got a new apartment building. We got to take care of. That's right. Yeah. Oh my god. All right. So now, you know, so now you're in that, you're, you're in this mode. You, you, you find out you're good. You're ready to rock and roll. Now you've got two weeks at home. What kind of, what kind of preparation were you doing? Two weeks is not a lot of time. What kind of preparation? No, not. Were you doing? And even before I found out that I was going to be on, I was trying to do some preparation, you know, just in patient. So um, about a month or two before this, I, I actually started running. I did marathon training. Um, so that I could get in physical shape, you know, to be able to do this. But then about uh, two or three weeks before I went to LA, I started realizing like, man, I'm losing a lot of weight and actually weight would be better in a survival situation than stamina. And so I just started eating everything. And so for about the last month before I went, I just ate everything I could find. I could find, I was just eating less, right. And, (laughs) you know, I put on some weight and, uh, I was at uh, well, probably one of the heaviest I've been in uh, 195 or something like that. Wow, I, 198 when I when I left. So, and what's your normal weight? About 180, 185. Okay, so you, you put on you uh, put on some good fat weight. Yeah, I tried to. Yep, and uh, I needed it. That's for sure. Yeah. Who does the cooking in the house? You or your wife? Uh, my wife does. I'm not a cook really right. much at all. <laughs> I'll grill the hamburgers and steaks and things like that. I, I'll do the grill, but. Uh, <laughs> that's I, I leave that. That's her. That's her domain. 
I love it. I love it. All right. So now you're, 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 you realize that you're losing weight. So you start putting weight back on, you're doing marathon training at the same time. Are you sleeping outside? Are you, you know, practicing making a fish hook? I mean, what are you doing during this time frame? I was enjoying every comfort I could find. And so I slept inside a nice soft bed and, uh, enjoyed brushing my teeth, things like that. Um, but I watched a lot of YouTube videos and, oh, uh, sure. there's, a, there's a lot of videos on how to do certain things and make different traps. And so I was just absorbing as much of this as I could. I was really panicking about the food because, um, I didn't know where we were going about a week before I went, I got my plane tickets that said I'm going to South America, Okay, but that's all I knew. So I didn't know where in South America. So how do you study? the, you know, different ecosystems you're going to be in and the types of food that are available in six different places in South America when you don't know what they are. Sure. So I was just, I I was beside myself. I said, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be able to find anything to eat. And so that was, that was tough. Now, and what about like bugs and insects and spiders and shit like that? Like, is this something that you're, you're researching what's down there? Well, I was trying to as much as I can, and I talked to the producers and uh, before this and said, so, I mean, am I just going to go there and die? And they said, well, having people die on our shows is really bad for business. <laughs> <laughs> that was their response. And right. they said, um, we will give you a quick summary of the location on what things will kill you. Because I was worried I was going to go and wander out there, find something that looked good to eat, eat it, and then die before they could get to me. Because Dude. I'm alone. I have to film myself. I'm oh, doing everything shit. alone. And really? so they promised me, they said, we will be within half an hour at all times when you hit that button if you want to tap out. Okay. But so, and there is, uh, now, I, and I apologize. I, I'm not, I don't watch a lot of TV. Now, I, I did a lot of research on you and I found out kind of who you are and what you do. But so, so are you, you're walking around with a button in your hand and a camera? Basically, yeah, I got a survival pack with a few things in there. Um, this uh, this GPS beacon that you can hit the button and they will come and get you. Basically, okay. there are two buttons on there: one to tap out if you want to just quit, and then the other one is an alligator oh. eating you. And then they send the national guard and everybody <laughs> helicopters swoop in. And <laughs> oh, here's the alligator button. Quit. Probably right. like a cute little picture of like an alligator on the front of it. <laughs> right. Okay, so. So you're, you're talking to the producers, obviously, yes, death is not a good thing for the show. What is your, what did you, and, and it's not like naked and afraid, you know, I mean, they're, they're out there for 21 days, they're naked, they're afraid, they're doing this sort of stuff. So what did you have on your physical person when you left? I was able to bring a change one, one set of clothes, so I had a okay. shirt, a t-shirt, a pair of pants, boots and socks. And then they allowed us to bring a, um, a small personal waterproof bag. It was maybe this, uh, like a one liter bag. And they said, you can put a few personal effects. So pictures of your family, um, things like that. I was able to put my thyroid medication in there, um, right. and a few other things. And then I just stuffed the rest with socks and underwear. And, uh, that's Wise. all I was able to have. Wise decision. Why keep your feet good and, and, and keep your nauticals clean. I got it. That's right. Exactly. Yep. Okay, so so you're dropped off and you go to South America and where was your first stop? My first stop was, which is really funny because in the production, in the casting process, they asked me, they said, okay, where do you 
really not want to go. And I said, oh, please, please don't send me to northern Minnesota. <laughs> and they said, no, really, where do you not want to go? I said, oh, man, I don't, I don't want to go to the Amazon. I was just really concerned about fire and it's everything damp and wet. And oh, yeah. I was not confident with making fire in the Amazon. It's hot and humid. And guess where I go first? Amazon, baby. The Amazon. They dropped me right in the center of the Amazon and I cut my teeth in the Amazon. And I'll tell you what, it was it was amazing. I loved it there. So, it was just brutal and terrible and awesome. And how are you getting in? Is it a helicopter? Are you driving in? This one, they actually brought us in by a boat. So we were okay. cruising along the Amazon and all of a sudden they turn off into this swamp and keep making their way through this swamp and just burying me in the middle of nowhere on this on the shore and on the edge of the swamp. And what is your, I mean, other than, than the world, and so what he, like, what, what, like I, I can't even fathom this first. So, so you're in a boat with a dude who's just driving the boat and you're driving through, in reality, like think about it in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, urban, in an urban setting, he's dropping you off in the middle of the hood. Like, yeah. he's just yeah. saying, here you go, good luck, and it's just you two in the boat? Yeah, to start with, and I mean, I'm hacking through vines as we're going down this river, these oh swamp, God. trying to get through, and I'm helping paddle get through this thing, and we're paddling through, and we just—it's hours, <laughs> hours, and Dude, hours. This is crazy. Four hours. Not only and do you have to live, me off. yeah. Not, not only do you have to live, but you've got to do the work to get you there. Oh yeah, the insertions were crazy. I mean, they would take half a day to insert us into some oh of these places. And God. I was on the back of a horse for three hours one time. I swam across the river on horseback. I mean, grabbing onto its mane as the thing was swimming across a rushing river. I oh. mean, it was just insane. My God, dude, that's yeah. crazy. Okay, yeah, so you was, get yeah. so you get to your location and the guy who's driving the boat basically high fives you, good luck. Yep. And yeah, what do you do? He's speaking English, so. Oh. <laughs> and I don't speak Spanish, so it's kind of just like he pulls up to the bank and I'm like, well, I guess this is it. And I get off, and he pulls away, and I look back, and he's gone. And there's nobody there. Yeah, they had, on insertion, they had a few cameramen kind of around the area, but they like, hiding behind trees and things, and they wouldn't talk to me sure. the whole time I was out there. They would say, were monkeys in the trees, ignore us. And then they would leave me alone, and they'd film me from a distance, just in case. Well, you know, it's really hard to film yourself if a jaguar jumps out of a tree and tries to kill you. <laughs> right, and exactly. so they don't miss that shot. That shot. Yeah, exactly. Can, can you do that again? All this money into this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It was, uh, but I had to film myself. I had three cameras going, you know, with different GoPros and, uh, and a regular camera. I had to deal with the audio and change batteries. And, oh, my God. So not only do I have to survive, I have to do everything twice. Right. Because you have to go and set up a camera. And then go back and walk in view the camera and do what you're going to do. And then if you're fishing and you're casting, like you give us a little cast net. And I'm casting this net and I'm working my way down the shore. And then I got to drop everything, go get the camera, go pull it back, and then set it up again and then keep working my way down. Man, it was just exhausting. I just and said, you don't have the energy. You yeah, know? You sure. You don't have the energy. I, I felt like I had a certain number of steps in me every day. And I was just using them up, carrying the stupid camera around. So and, it, and was, it, it was rough. Was now I know we're, we're we're only in the first we're only in the first week, but was there a point? I mean, were you were you trying to talk to people? I mean, if there were there camera guys around you, or you were they were only there for the insertion? 
they were there mainly on the insertion and when they picked us up because in the middle of the night, this beacon would go off and usually around three o'clock in the morning for some reason, but um, they'd pick you up and they would be filming some of what you're doing then. But they're not talking to you. They're not interacting with you. Um, occasionally during the week, I would see, depending on the location, I would see them in the distance. Like one spot, they're in the tundra. They're filming me from the side of a mountain. I, I virtually never saw them. Right. Um, but they still wouldn't talk to you. They'd come, and when I was out doing something, or if, even if I was there, they'd come and drop a set of batteries in a plastic bag off somewhere, and then they're not allowed to talk to you. They're not allowed to do anything. Wow, dude. Yeah. It was isolation. So the isolation the, yeah, the isolation, the no human contact for 50 days, for 60 days was, was rough. It was hard. So, so how do you, I mean, look, your, your first week, you're like, I got this, I got this, I got this. Oh man. No. You got five more weeks to go. Yeah, no, it was the first day. I, the no, first I'm sorry. Day you I got said, seven got more this. weeks to go. Go ahead. Yeah. I got this. I said, first day I got this. And you know how long it lasted? An hour. One day, one day. But by the end of that day, I was like, I can't do this. I said, there's no way I can make it 60 days. Right. But I said, you know what? I know I can make it through today. Right. And so that was my mantra from that moment on is make it through today. And that's the way I had to deal with things with my cancer treatment too, is one day at a time. You can't look at the end goal because it's just too daunting. You know, right. it's just too rough. You can't get over that mountain, but one step at a time. And there were huh. times on this journey where I was not only one day at a time, but I was one hour at a time. I was one minute at a time. Sometimes I said, I'm counting off the seconds. It's like, I can make it another minute. I can make it another minute. And it's, it's brutal. And what, what is, what, I mean, so like, let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Let's say that we're into, I don't know, day 30. What's, what's in your brain? Yeah, it was so dependent on the location, um, which is really interesting because um, day 30, I was in the bush plains. So I had gone from the Amazon to then to the wetlands and the wetlands um, were actually dry at this time because it was the dry season. And then I went to the bush plains. The bush plains was dry and boring and hot and, and just terrible. And I ate great. I ate tons of fish. I was eating several pounds of fish meat a day. I love I was bored. Right. But I was bored, you know, yeah. and I needed something to do. So at that stage, my psychological standing was I was bored. I didn't want to keep doing this. And I had to give myself something to do. And so I made the worst, world's worst chair. It was pretty lousy. It was <laughs> rickety. And but I spent several days working on this chair and it gave me a purpose. It gave me something to do. And that was really huge for my psyche. And what did, so, and I'm, did you take, because for me, I'm kind of like, a, I'm, not, I'm not only an experienced guy, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guy who I love memories. I love mm. something that I can look at that, I, you know, like I'm staring right now. I look in my office. I'm sitting here and I have a, I took a branch from the tree of life in the middle of the, of the desert in Bahrain in the Middle East. Like I look at that and I remember the sound, the smell. I remember the heat. I remember all of that. Is there, were you bringing stuff? Were you taking stuff with you from each location? That Did was you- rough because they gave us a survival pack to start with. Okay. And they said, this is what's going to last you for 60 days. Okay. You cannot bring anything from any location. Oh, really? So not even like a leaf? Yeah. Not even a leaf. I mean, I couldn't. What I did do, though, in the Amazon, they found a piece of uh, vine that was really flexible and durable. 
I said, you know what? This reminds me of my wife. Oh, and wow. And I wrapped it around my wrist, and go. I was going to take it to the next spot. And uh, the producer came up to me when he was about halfway through that spot. And he, it was one of the few times they talked to me. He said, you know you can't take anything from zone to zone. Right. I said, would you like to be the guy that takes it from me? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I've been here for six goddamn days. You yeah, want to take right. it off my wrist? Because your arm is as hell. <laughs> yeah, right. So he said, um, he said, okay, as long as you don't use it for survival purposes and as long as you make a bracelet in each zone or one of your family members. And I said, deal. Okay. And so in every zone, I made a bracelet for one of my boys. Awesome. And so I was able to keep those. So that was kind of cool. But that's, that's the awesome. only thing I was able to bring from zone to zone. And did you, you know, so you have nothing for the new baby. I have nothing for the new baby. That's right. I'll go on another adventure to do that. You better make something up real quick, dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you're so your psyche and you're kind of figuring it out. I mean, was there a point where was there a point where you were like, I got this. I'm good. I'm good. Other than <laughs> yeah. 15. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of humbling. Um it was a so when they started us off, they gave us a machete, a pop. You know, a small, tiny tarp, um, a few little odds and ends like that. They also gave us three days worth of food. And their three days of worth of food was really just two cups of trail mix, um, a cup of beef jerky, a, a little bit of rice, and a little bit of beans. That was their three days worth of food. And I saw that to start with, and I said, there is no way I am doing two things. I'm not hitting that button, and I'm not touching that food. Okay. Unless I absolutely have to. And so I was not going to eat that. On day two or three in the Amazon, I caught a bunch of fish. And I sat there kind of smugly eating my fish and says, yep, I beat the Amazon, you know? And then I started seven days with no food at all. Uh, that was rough. And uh, did not eat a single thing for seven days. And you're uh, a meat, potatoes, hardworking uh, yeah. guy. Yeah, you know? I, needed, I needed the calories. Rib sticking. Uh, I ended up eating some larva. That was pretty rough. Yeah. Those were beetle larva cooking those over the fire. They kind of taste like oily burnt popcorn. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, it was rough. Seven days with no food was uh, was brutal. And that happened over one of the cycle changes too, which is, which is really interesting about this show and this experience is that not only do you have to film yourself, not only do you have to survive, but then you never know when they're going to go and yank you out of there and bring you to a new spot and drop you off. So the eating was really tough because I determined I wasn't going to eat my rations. So if I was lucky, I ate the day before they pulled me out. Right. The whole day that we traveled, they were in a plane or a bus or a car or whatever, we were private transportation. They wouldn't feed us. Oh. No showers, no food, nothing. They wouldn't give us anything. So that was a full day of no eating there at all. So um, often, often cases, that was day two of no eating. Right. And then I arrive at the zone, and now my priorities are water and fire and shelter. Right. It's not even on the radar. And so there's three days, and often, if I was lucky, I ate on the fourth day. Sometimes it was as many as five days in a row without eating. And I have to do all this work to build a shelter. You know, right. One, one zone in the mountains, I, it was cold, so I built a little log cabin. And in the tundra, I hauled like 1,500 pounds with a rock to make a lean-to shelter. And I didn't eat for five straight days in the tundra. 
So it was, it was really rough and I was not touching those rations. There was no way I was touching that food. So uh, you, you keep referencing we, you were by yourself though. Yeah. Okay. And when you say we, you're referencing the production crew. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, But yeah. And also you go a little crazy when you're out there. So I probably talked to myself quite a bit. So I'm sure that that may be also why I I had little pet friends and stuff around too, little birds and different things I talked to. Dude, castaway, man. Think about Wilson. That's right. Exactly. So now, I mean, what's to say, I mean, look, you're on a plane and you're going to, or you're in a bus. What's to, I mean, I can't imagine that. Like you're driving through a little town and you look over and Hey, look, a taco shop, but I was wrong. Yeah. Well, I I did have, I did have a associate producer that traveled with me and made sure I got from point A to point B because I didn't know where I was going. Right. I had no idea what the next location was. And so her job was to make sure that I didn't eat anything and right. that nobody gave me food and that I got from point A to point B. And right. she was, I, I'm great friends with her. I really, really like her. Um, and we got to know each other after the show more, but she was rough. I mean, she was really hardcore and uh, she was pretty strict. So it was, uh, it was quite the experience. So how is the, how is your, how is your psychologically, and I'm just going to keep kind of reverting to day 30 because I think that at that halfway point, you're like, I've made it this far. Yeah. How is your that psyche? How is your psyche going into day 30 and post day 30? I mean, isolation yeah. alone, the fact that you've got to do, I can't, I, honestly, dude, I can't believe the amount of work that you have to do when it comes to the cameras. And, and I mean, cause your brain starts to change especially without food, your brain starts to change. So how are you remaining in that moment to know that you have a responsibility, you have a job other than to stay alive? Where are you in that place? Yeah, I started to hate that camera. I mean, there was no question about it. I really was, was just kind of bitter about the whole thing that I have to go and haul this thing around, but I know I have to do it. And if I don't do it, nobody will see it. And so right around that time in the bush, in the, in the, the bush plane, after I made the chair, I wanted to find little projects. And one day I took the camera out and I said, I'm going to make a fishing video for my boys. I'm going to show them how I do the fishing. And so that was my goal that day is I showed them how I was fishing and I showed them how I was flaying the fish. And I, I made, I made a different type of job out of it. And uh, that was a big thing going forward from that point. I realized after day 30, it's all downhill. I get to count down now to day 50, you know, from 30. That was really cool. And so I set little monuments. Like I said, okay, day 30, that was a big one. I crossed day 30. The next one is day 40. I can make it to day 40. Sure, and then it's 20 days. uh, Yeah, that's right. And then day 50. And, you know, so I kept setting small goals like that and and finding things to kind of keep my morale up. And a big thing for me, it was just huge, was finding things to be thankful for. Right. You know, it's, it's so easy to start focusing on all the problems that are happening. And, you know, I was in the tundra and it rained for 18 hours straight and I'm oh getting wet and I'm under this tarp, this hastily built swing to, I'm getting wet and my feet are wet. My head is wet. My hands are wet. I was like, you know what? But my chest right here, this one little spot, this is dry. And I was like, I'm thankful that that spot's dry. And right. you focus on that, you know, and you have to, otherwise you just get bogged down and you quit. 
Wow, dude. That's just crazy, man. I mean, I just can't. But I, but I, I, now, are you religious? Are you spiritual? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and that really was a big help to me, um, is having a foundation that I could return to. You know, right. everything in your life is gone. Everything you, you know, all your comforts, all your support systems, everything's gone. But I knew that I had my faith and my belief, and uh, that was really, really huge to me. It was a big help, for sure. And at the same time, you have that, you have that family value. You have that, you, you really do have something to look forward to, to go home right. to. I mean, you know, I've, I've had conversations with other people who have been in, in situations like this, who, who don't have a, a, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or children or a dog or any of that stuff. And they say that when they kind of get home, they're kind of a recluse. They're just kind of, you know, they don't want to talk to anybody. They don't want to get involved in anything because they're still kind of doing that wind down period. So, so leading up to day 60 and you're rocking and rolling and, and doing all that, your, 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 your adrenaline at this point must be just through the roof. Despite how much weight did you lose? I lost 36 pounds. Wow. Okay. So 36 pounds over 60 days, but you, you were lucky enough to be able to, to have a good source of food with the stuff that you were doing. So now leading into day 60, where are you? Well, first off, uh, geographically, where are you? I'm in, I'm on the southernmost point of an island in Chile. And uh, so I'm about two thirds <laughs> of the way down Chile. And okay. on this island, marooned in an island. And I look out off the beach. And I can see towards Antarctica. I mean, that's all that's there. That's the only thing between me and Antarctica is ocean. Wow. To the right, as far as I can see, the only thing over there is water and then Australia. Okay. So I'm way down there. I mean, it's right. crazy. And in the Pacific Ocean, it's just nuts. Sure. And uh, it rained and rained and rained. I had five straight days of rain in that location. Okay. So it's day 60. You're working on your, I mean, is it an, it's an extraction or are That's you, right. somebody's flying in with, you know, uh, with a T-bone steak and, and a baked potato. What is I your no idea? So I was, I, um, there was a, a big beach thing and I knew that I had to be on that beach and a boat was coming. And so the production crew was off in the distance. They're kind of filming this. I set up my camera and filming this. I'm just waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting for this boat to come. And when the boat comes, the captain gets out and he hands me this satellite phone and he gestures. He says, push this. And I push the button and it said, calling Amy. Oh, dude, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. I lost it it right there. I'm going to do it right now. Yeah, it was crazy. And I heard her for the first time in 60 days. I heard the voice of my youngest, Owen, who was uh, one and a half or so at the time. And he had just barely started to say a few words, and he said, "Daddy." And uh, he was, <laughs> dude, I'm, I can't even imagine. No, it was nuts. I mean, the whole crew—they were watching this off in the, a little bit in the distance, and they were just all and they were—they had watched me this whole time. Sure, you know, this crew had been following me oh along, and we had different crews in different locations, but some of the same crews kind of leapfrogged around. And so the crew I had at the end, I had for um, a total of three weeks, you know, and they watched me starving out there and they couldn't do anything about it. You know, they watched me in the cold and in the rain and all these things. These are nice people and they have to stay. And the emotion on that last day, 
I mean, when I was finally done, they were hugging and crying. And I mean, oh was, man, that's was, awesome, dude! Unbelievable. That's amazing. So now, so you're you're in your sixty. You're getting down to, uh, you know, they pick you up. What what is the next twenty four hours like of day sixty one? What do yeah, you do? That was that was interesting. I kept I continued to keep a journal. I kept a journal the whole time. And so I kept getting a, keeping a journal and writing down all the things I ate. And uh, I was trying to find, you know, all the different foods I came across and what I ate the first things. And one of the first things I ate was a large hamburger in an uh, airport in Chile. Uh, we are sitting down at the table and we are going to order some food. And this waiter walks by with this huge, I mean, it was as big as my head. It was right. crazy. And it was topped with guacamole. And they <laughs> brought it to a table next to me. And there were four ladies sitting there, and they divided the thing up into four pieces, and they didn't even finish the whole thing. Oh, my and God. Thing walking by, I said, I want that. Right. And they came to me, and I ate that entire thing and a beer, and I still wasn't full. Right. It was right. crazy. And that, that night, I ate a steak and a salad. I was craving salad so bad. There were no greens out there for me to eat because right. of how early it was in the season. And I ate a salad and a huge steak and a potato, and then I laid in bed and moaned for like three hours. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, dude. So, so how soon? So now, after this, are you going through a medical evaluation? Are you going through a psychological evaluation? Or are yeah, they like, everything. "Hey, thanks for everything. Yep. Cheers." No, they kept me there for two days afterwards, so I couldn't go home for a couple of days. They they were able to keep me for up to a week by the contract, just depending on my state. But I had a phone call with a psychologist, and we talked, and uh, I was doing really well uh, psychologically at that point. I was in a very good place, um, and then uh, the doctor came through, checked me out, and uh, we really was just kind of a check mark. I had eaten so well the last week I was out there that I was really doing pretty good. Okay. All right, dude. I so ate now- a total of 142 fish while I was out there. That's awesome. What what kind of, uh, and I should have asked this a little while ago because I, did, I didn't even think about the journal portion of it, but what were there were there points in your journaling that you were like, that you, you were like, what the hell was I writing? Oh, looking back? Yeah. It's, it's really hard to read some of it um, physically because my handwriting was so crappy um, in some places. Uh, it was just, you know, you kind of have a little bit of a shake and a tremor and it's, just, it's smudged and dirt and it's grimy and the notebook kind of smells a little bit, but it was just this little tiny waterproof notebook. But going back through it, I mean, it just, it brings me back. Right. It's amazing. Wow. Wow. And then, so now you're on the flight home. And you're landing in northern Minnesota, and the whole family's there. Dad's pissed off because he's been working for 60 days. Your wife well, can't wait was, to get yeah, out of the house. That was interesting because um, so I flew with my associate producer from um, Santiago, Chile to Dallas. And in Dallas, we parted ways, and she went back to Los Angeles and headed oh north to Chicago. Right. But I was surviving in the woods for 60 days by myself. I had no human interaction. I'm kind of like this weird zombie kind of walking around. And I have nothing, absolutely nothing on me but my passport and plane ticket. I have no wallet. I have no, oh my credit, God. I have no money. I have nothing. And I said, so what am I going to eat? Oh, there's food on the flights. Okay. So I'm in Dallas 
Fort Worth at um, three o'clock in the morning, and I fly from there to Chicago, and there's no food on that flight. I, or I get I get a um, like a little uh, little freeze dried waffle or whatever it is, little tiny thing. So I eat that. That was about it. I steal my neighbor's because he was sleeping. Um, <laughs> And then uh, I go to Chicago and I'm there for several hours and I have no money and I have no food. And then there's no food on the flight from Chicago to uh, Minneapolis. And so I have no food there. And then from Minneapolis to Duluth, Minnesota, I have no food there at all. So I get off the airplane and I see a production crew. And like, uh, where's my family? And they're like, well, we thought it'd be best to film you arriving at home. Oh, my God. And so now I have to drive an hour from Duluth to my home in northern Minnesota in the, on the Iron Range. And the first thing I said to the crew when we got in the car is like, do you guys have anything to eat? And they're like, what? You haven't eaten anything? I said, no, I haven't eaten anything really substantial since last night. And this was like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they're like, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. And, you know, I've been getting used to eating again. It's kind of nice to eat. And then you don't eat for a whole day. And you're like, man, this kind of sucks. Right. But then I drive home, and that was then I get home, and I don't even drive right into my driveway. They park at the end of my driveway, and the crew gets out, walks down my driveway, gets my family all set and wired, mic'd and arranged, and everything. It was like the longest twenty minutes of my life, and then I finally get to drive down my driveway in the taxi grid and get out and see my family. Wow, dude, that's crazy. Yeah, it was pretty nuts. Wow, man, dude, I, uh, I, I love your story, dude. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. So, so now you're at the point now, so you're involved in the reality rally. So tell us a little bit about the reality rally and what, what is involved in that and how you got involved. I got involved through a friend who was on naked and Floyd, Aaron Phillips. He told me about it when he heard my story and I got introduced to him and he said, dude, you're going to love this. It's a great event where there's, you know, there's this celebrity chef cook off. There's, amazing race race you raise money for michelle's place which is a breast cancer awareness center and it's been really just a great opportunity i had an opportunity to raise some money myself and then donate it to michelle's place and i had great support from my friends and family and, and fans of the show and we get there and then people come and with the ticket purchases and other things that go on they can even donate more money to michelle's place so it's a it's a remarkable place if anybody wants to donate they can go to realityrally.com and then you can go and you can search for different uh, cast members from different shows. You can pick your favorite cast member and then donate under their name. And uh, it's a, it's really a great opportunity. Now you get to bring your family with you. No, I don't get to bring my family with me. Um, it's going to be just, uh, uh, just me this time. So it's kind of a bummer having to leave them behind, but yeah. with uh, them still finishing up school and my wife being, you know, uh, uh, six months pregnant. She's oh, uh, not much for traveling right now. So, and when is the rally? The rally is May third through May sixth. Oh wow! So it's coming up. Yep, coming up here. That's gonna be fun. Dude. We're looking forward to it. That's awesome, man. Um, Luke, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you taking time out. And I appreciate the, you know, I appreciate your story, man. You know, as a family guy, I, I kind of fall back on that family world and, uh, and, and the, the, you know, I mean, the challenge of being out there alone is massive enough, but the psychological portion of not being around your family, especially, I mean, your wife, you guys were together for 14 years, you know, on a daily basis. So that, that's huge, dude. Um, kudos to you for, for what you're doing. And then, you know, even to come thanks. back and, and have that charity aspect to it. I think that's pretty awesome, man. I think that's pretty yeah, awesome. Well, thanks. 
I'm really trying to give back where I can. And anybody who has, you know, speaking engagements or charities or rallies like that, you know, look me up on Facebook. I have a Facebook page for the the wheel for at Luke Soder on Facebook or Instagram for the same name. But I'm really trying to help where I can. You know, it's really a great opportunity. I've been blessed greatly and I'd like to help others. That's cool, man. Well, well, cheers to you, man. Hey, Luke, thank you so much. And uh, who knows, man? You know, we uh, we're both in this crazy little weird world of reality. Maybe we'll maybe we'll see each other one day, and I can buy a beer and shake your hand. Hey, that'd be great. We should do a cooking show on how to survive in the wild, dude. I, I, style. I would. Uh, let's create it. Let's pitch it, and then let's sit around for a year and a half and wait for it to get picked up. There you go. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Luke. I really do appreciate it, brother. Have a great day. Hey. Thanks. We'll see you. See you, brother. That's awesome, man. What a good dude. Um, imagine, you know, I mean, imagine the process of going through that and having to, look, uh, to, to end up not being near your family. You know, I mean, four boys and a wife and, you know, uh, the breadwinner at home and, and mom does, you know, the work in the house and cooks and cleans and teaches the boys through a homeschooling atmosphere. And I mean, that's massive, man. I mean, I can't imagine doing that, but I think that and, and having thyroid cancer, you know, and beating it all at the same time is a pretty amazing story. So um this was, uh, I'm really glad that we did this. This was, uh, this was really awesome. I'm really glad that I had an opportunity to talk to him and, um, you know, check out some of that stuff that he was talking about with reality rally and, and, you know, raising some money and, um, donate to his cause. Uh, so go to that reality rally, uh, website and find Luke's information and donate to his cause and let's help get him out there and make it happen. And the way that they work with that reality rally is it's kind of a tier thing. So, um, you know, a lot of these people end up going out there and doing some really neat stuff. Stuff and um, uh, you've got to raise money to get out there to get to certain levels. Um, some of it's for airfare and stuff like that and, and whatnot, but it's pretty cool. So go check out Reality Rally, um, watch it, follow it, get all that stuff involved, and definitely, definitely, definitely um, have that conversation with Luke or send him an email, send him a message on Facebook, and and let him know because that's that's a pretty empowering story. I, I think it's pretty wild. So um, we're gonna end it all up right here. Uh, this is the way we're going to do it. So y'all know my endings are pretty cool. So get me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook, Chef Brian Duffy on Instagram and Twitter. Check out the three people that I really just truly adore, uh, really four, um, who make this show happen on a weekly basis. Maggie Gagliardi, that amazing artist. Follow her at Mags Art on Instagram and Twitter. Also get out there to Michelle uh, out at Techno Solution, does all my website stuff and some really cool graphic design work for me as well. And then it wouldn't happen without the boys, Jerry and Jason down there, radioinfluence.com. You guys have a really cool podcast idea. I highly suggest you talk to these guys. Look, I went through some fucking jackasses. Okay, I went through some pure, full-blown jackasses trying to get this show to happen. And Jerry and Jason came through at the end. Um, and, you know, it was a leap of faith. I really didn't know what direction. I had some pretty bad experiences leading into it. And this was something that really kind of uh, their, their support and their flexibility and their professionalism is awesome. So get over to RadioInfluence.com. Listen to what these guys have to do and check out the unbelievable world of podcasts that these guys do. Um, I listen to a lot of the podcasts, especially one with my, my, my good buddy, Ian Beckles, who I just I, I think about conversations that I've had with him and, you know, the drunk 
drunk show that we did with Kathy and, and Monica and, and Ian uh, just drunk uh, down at his place, which I still have a gift for him that I have yet to send him. Um, I've got to get it down to him. So um, thank you to everybody. I really appreciate your time and I appreciate the support. Do me a favor and go over to iTunes and give us a little bit of a, you know, give us a review. Let's get some stars going. Tell your friends about this show. We've got a great following, but we want to touch more people. And that's kind of the world that I live in. So thank you all very much. Greatly appreciated. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome week. I feel empowered to go and build a fort and catch a fish. Take care, everybody. Have an awesome week. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill Quick Fix on Radio Influence. So I'm feeling really upset with the commissioner, Commissioner Richard Ross. And if he hears this, he hears it. A, as a man, you don't go back on your word. B, as a leader, you don't throw your officers under the bus, under any circumstances. Because essentially by recanting his statement, he essentially said, yeah, my officers were wrong. You totally ignored the fact, like you said in your previous statement, that those two individuals, Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson, were breaking the law. And now they're on this nationwide media tour. Hell, they'll probably have a book out of it. Hell, they'll probably have their own show out of it. But you, as the commissioner of that city in charge of those officers, have slapped them in the face. That's what you did when you recanted. Your statement. So now, what do you think your officers in the city of Philadelphia are thinking right now? Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.